um, my, my, my husband brought me here because I'm undecided. Um, what is your fire? Because you see Bernie, you see Elizabeth Warren, you see that fire. That's what I'm looking for. What is your fire? Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is the Politics, Politics, Politics program for... Friday. I don't even know what day it is. It's the end of February. I am here in Sumter, North, sorry, Sumter, South Carolina. Wow. Morning events. Uh, here at the Mount Zion Enrichment Center. This is a uh, church gym where Joe Biden will have his first event of the day. June 1987. That's what I want you guys to think about. June 1987. That was when Joe Biden first became a candidate for the presidency of the United States. That ended in failure. He then tried again in 2008, which also ended in failure. He is trying again in this, the year of our Lord 2020, but not since that first June morning when he became an entrant into this particular stage of combat, has he done what he might do within 24 hours? And that is indeed win a primary state. We are going to see exactly how different uh, this event is from the last event that we went to, which of course was in New Hampshire, where he uh, uh, issued the famous lying dog face pony soldier comment. Uh, and it seems that this crowd, if I'm going to take a wild guess, this crowd is about the same age-wise, certainly a little bit more black than uh, in, in New Hampshire. Uh, but, yeah, this is, uh, this is it. This is really Joe's last chance, because either he wins here or he is toast. It is over. Let's find out. And now, please welcome to the stage, Vice President Joe Biden. Sheriff Joe will do this. 
Well, here's what I had to do. I had to go out and find three Republican votes. I got three Republicans to change their vote and vote for the Recovery Act because it made a gigantic difference in keeping us from going into depression. And when that happened, when that happened, I managed that act all the way through for 18 months, plus the two tenths of one percent waste of thought. And where there was Democrats and Republicans, I would they say we're going to do this is such and such with the money. As, for example, one Democrat said we're going to build a frisbee park. I said no, you can't. And they said oh yeah, we can. The law says this. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to come out and hold a press conference and say you're wasting money. All of a sudden they had an epiphany. They decided not to do it. Determined to change the culture. No man has a right under any circumstance, unless there's an affirmative commitment to say, yes, you can touch me and do whatever you, that you want to do with me. If you can't affirmatively say it, it doesn't exist in the shortest amount of time. My dad, when he lost, there was no work in Scranton, and he moved away for a year and a half until he could get us, we sent us home with our grandpa. My dad finally got a really good job. For us, good job. He, was, he ended up being managed in an automobile building. He didn't own it, managed. And even I knew that we had, that's what allowed us to buy the, our first, the first house. And I remember there used to always be a Christmas party they'd have this dealership. And the guy who owned the dealership wasn't particularly, uh, was somewhat crude. Remember those days that back in the 50s and 60s, you don't remember, you weren't old enough. But where if you open a bank account, you got a toaster or something, you know, you got, you know, there's always some incentive to do something. Well, if you bought this particular vehicle, you got a bucket full of silver dollars. And this guy was big son, so I'm not gonna name him because his sons are good people, his grandsons. And so, Christmas party. And that was the time my mom and dad would go to this Christmas party. They'd get dressed up and go, and I was the oldest of four kids. And so, they leave early to go to the Christmas party. They clear out the showroom and set up tables and have a dinner for everybody. The owners and the management sit at the table, and everyone from the mechanics to the salespersons, the secretaries, bring their families, and they clear out the cars in the showroom. And then afterwards, there's a dance. They have a band come and play. And I didn't expect my mom and dad to be home until 11 o'clock or so. I was, I was the oldest, I was the babysitter. And so about 8.30, my dad comes storming in the door, opens up the dining room doors, led into the back doors, led into the living room, and then up the three stairs, four stairs, and goes all over the bedroom. We're all lying on the floor watching TV. Walks right by him. I knew something was wrong. I didn't see him. And my mother walked in. And I said, what's the matter, Mom? What happened? I said, I'm so proud. I said, what happened? She said, quit. Because this particular guy did something my father felt was the meeting. In the middle of the dance, he stood up and took a bucket full of silver dollars and threw it out the floor to watch people pick it up. That's the abuse. And this president abuses power. And the second thing is... Okay, outside the Biden event, uh, a good event for Biden, by and large, fairly... Uh, I don't know, it's, it, it was competent, which is something that I, I can't always say comes through with Joe. 
And and yet it was a little bit boring. He he got a little feisty when it came to being challenged on uh, uh, whether or not he has fire. You know that was uh, the the opening quote from the very beginning of this podcast. Uh, he got a little uh, a little uh, you know wound up about that. But by and large, I think he knows that this is his strongest chance. Uh, another thing that's happened while that rally was unfolding is that he has gotten a few endorsements. Tim Kaine endorsed him. Obviously, uh, Senator Clyburn endorsed him earlier this week. He's trying to layer on as many name endorsements as he can because either he wins tomorrow or and, and now he's the comeback kid. At least that's how he'll try to spin it. Or he doesn't, and everything's over anyway. So all the favors that he was going to call in have now officially been called in. Politics. Other than that, I would like to remind you guys that I am only here out on the road because you put me here. Everybody who went to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you put me on that flight. You put me in this hotel. You put me in this a hilarious Ford F-150 that I will uh, uh, put up on my Twitter account because they ran out of the car that I had uh, actually rented and instead gave me a massive Ford F-150. You guys are the reason. So, uh, a few things. Number one, you're gonna get a, uh, everybody is, is going to get a, a bonus episode that's gonna come out hopefully sometime either tonight or tomorrow morning about the history of South Carolina as a primary. I wanted it to be a part of this episode, but I screwed up uh, loading it into Dropbox on the way out, full disclosure, so you're gonna get it separately. Uh, uh, but also just, man, you know, as, as I sit here uh, amongst all the press, I saw Dave Weigel of the Washington Post and his mustache. I literally knew that dude by his mustache just because his avatar has his mustache on Twitter. And I was like, man, I ain't never seen you in my life, but I know you're Dave Weigel because that stash don't lie, dude. You guys did it. You guys have me here. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Let's get to the Bernie rally. The only BS we're going for this one is Bernard Sanders. There's no more time for bullshit. We will be progressing. We will be progressing. When? I talked to some of my Democratic friends, the black people with some money, and they said, Michael, they say, why are you still pushing the line on Bernie Sanders? They say, you're doing good enough. And I said, since when is me doing good enough, good enough for everyone? I asked them, they said, Michael, you have enough money, you live in a nice house. Why won't you support the total line Democrat? I said, because if I know 10 other people that don't get to live the life I live and they don't have to sing and dance, what good is it me to see the promised land if I don't get to go with all you guys? This is a time, this is a time where as Democrats, we have to challenge those that say they're Democrats to truly be progressives. And the only way you can be a progressive is to call for progression. Trump is here today in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, all of you know there is a global healthcare crisis taking place right now with the coronavirus. Countries all over the world are working frantically to figure out how they can control the virus, how we can get a vaccine to deal with the virus, 
And here in America, obviously, we've got to do the same. One might think that in the midst of a major healthcare crisis, the President of the United States would be assembling doctors and scientists and researchers, not Donald Trump. He is here in South Carolina for one reason, to disrupt the Democratic primary. That's why he's here. He hopes that he can get a little media attention taken away from the Democratic candidates. How petty, how pathetic is that? Now, some of you may have heard recently that the establishment is getting a little bit nervous about our campaign. And they should get nervous because we're going to win. And one of the new lines that we're hearing from the establishment is, Bernie can't win. Well, I say to those folks, take a look at the last 60 national polls that have been done. Bernie beats Trump 56 out of 60 times. Take a look at some of the polls in the battleground states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Bernie beats Trump. And we're gonna beat Trump because we're doing something that has not been done in recent history. We are putting together a grassroots movement based on excitement, based on energy. We're bringing people into the political process who previously were not involved. You got millions of workers all over this country that are working two or three jobs. They're earning starvation wages. They can't afford health care. And they have said, why should I get involved in the political process? Who cares about me? This campaign cares about you. This campaign is prepared to take on Wall Street and their greed. We're prepared to take on the insurance companies. We're prepared to take on the drug companies and lower the cost of prescription drugs in this country. This is a campaign that is bringing young people, black and white and Latino, Native American, Asian American, into the political process. And when you get working people involved and you get young people involved, we're gonna have the largest voter turnout in the history of this country in November, which is what we need to defeat Trump. And this is a campaign that's gonna win because we are a campaign of the working class of this country, by the working class, and for the working class. We, and if we stand together and don't allow Trump and his friends to divide us up, if we keep our eyes on the prize, which is an agenda that works for working families, if we stand together, if we're prepared to stand up and fight, if we're prepared to bring people into the political process, 
All the money in the world is not going to be able to stop us. So let us go forward tomorrow. Let us win the primary here in South Carolina. Let us win the Democratic nomination. Let us defeat Donald Trump. Let us transform this country. Thank you all very much. All right, the Bernie rally is over, and there were some interesting takeaways. Number one, this is going to be his last appearance here in South Carolina. He is off to his Super Tuesday destinations, including a massive concert on Saturday, the night of the results here in South Carolina, where he will be flanked by uh, public enemy. Sorry, flanked on that. Uh, because I was thinking about Killer Mike. Killer Mike, who you also just heard as part of all of that barrage of sound. I had maybe the best location that I've ever had for a rally. And uh, it was really remarkable. Uh, I was I was right up uh, next to Nina Turner and uh, Killer Mike, Danny Glover, Bernie, as he came in and out, uh, saying hello to the crowd on his way back to the vehicle. The real big political X's and O's takeaway is that Bernie did something that you just heard that is different for him. He played into a issue of the moment. This, I think, was kind of a first draft to what we're going to see if he indeed is the nominee. And that is with the coronavirus stuff uh, uh, seriously affecting the world, obviously, seriously affecting the economy, at least according uh, according to the Dow Jones. There's a, an opportunity now to basically put Donald Trump on notice that he's not handling it correctly. And at least by how I remember watching Bernie Sanders handle literally anything and everything, he's very, very loath to follow the thing of the moment. In fact, he often kind of detests it. He, he sort of hand waves away whatever the, the new thing is so he can point back to economic injustice, systemic injustice, racial injustice, whatever the, you know, the, the main issues that he kind of hammers on. So for him to go after Trump on his handling of the coronavirus and, and literally was talking about tonight, he was criticizing Trump for being in Charleston tonight instead of handling the coronavirus better. That's a fairly stock, off-the-shelf politician thing to say. Uh, And that's not normally what he says. I don't think it's necessarily bad. In my mind, uh, him taking that perspective is kind of just a a scratch-off lottery ticket. Like, let's say that coronavirus does become something that dominates this campaign, then Bernie Sanders can say from as as far back as South Carolina, I was calling Donald Trump a failure on this. Or if it, you know, becomes much less of an issue by the time that Election Day rolls around, it doesn't really cost him anything. No one's going to remember and say, oh, look at you. You made a big deal about the coronavirus of all things. That's not really going to be an issue. But it was a departure. Bernie doesn't 
have tremendous flexibility on his speeches. They are usually the hits. People come to see him talk about the things that he talks about, and indeed, he does not disappoint them. Beyond that, we saw some oblique uh, references to kind of some stepped-up rhetoric from some of the other candidates and the establishment, uh, whatever you might uh, consider that to be, saying that he... Well, I mean, the establishment, the, the, the quotes that are kind of going around on Twitter are that, and I thought he was going to use this because this would very much fit into his vocabulary... The, the new word on the street in terms of those that don't want to drop out or don't want Bernie to be the nominee is that people don't elect the nominee. The party elects the nominee. And that almost seems like it was pre-written for Bernie to be a rally line. That, you know, he can just ask the crowd, do you think the people should elect the nominee? And they will scream their heads off. He didn't go fully there. But he did continue to ratchet things up. Uh, something that I noticed, and I'm sure he said it this plainly before, so I don't think I'm breaking any news. It's just the first time that it uh, really rung in my head is that there, there will be a very interesting role for the media to play if this is Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders for four months. Because both of them openly loathe the media and ask the crowd to go along, which they gleefully do. Like, Bernie Sanders has a line where he's like, uh, the, the 1% own the media. So, you know, if there's that, and then on the other side, it's look at the fake news back there. I mean, I guess there, there is an element of uh, a personal vendetta you know, you can say the 1% own the media if you're Bernie Sanders and then say, oh, but, you know, she's okay or he's okay. And I guess Trump can do that, too, but he doesn't make it like, hey, look at them. Bernie does not make it look at them. Throw your scorn upon these personal people in the back. It's more of an oblique. Well, of course, the 1% own the media, even if the people that are making the reporters, maybe even the editors and the photographers they're just kind of workaday schlubs like me and you. That when you trace that corporate lineage high enough, obviously, uh, who else can afford to own these gigantic power structures? All in all, uh, uh, you know, a very spirited performance by Bernie. I would uh, uh, estimate the crowd to be anywhere between... 800 and 1200 that would be my guess I almost missed the entire thing because they moved it to another downtown location compared to where I thought it was going to be so I had to kind of sprint through downtown Columbia but that'll about wrap it up for us today I would like to thank our Titanic $10 tier, Dennis, Brad, Jay Milius, Paul, Michael, Jonathan, The Jen, Nicholas, Adam, Olin, and Angela, Zach, Chad, Andrew, Will, Peter, Nick, Frozen Summers, Jim, DL, Lindsay, Steven, Squids, Adam, D-Laser, Andy, Paul, and Mike. If you want to join their ranks, then head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Dot com. A reminder that you should follow me on social media, especially when I'm out here on the road. 
Justin R. Young on Instagram, Justin R. Young on Twitter, and of course on Twitch, where I stream my uh, just talking about politics a couple days a week. That about wraps it up for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying politics has three names. Wait a minute, I forgot to give my uh, forgot to give my my picks for South Carolina. All right, here they are. They're easy. I'm going chalk on this one. I don't think there's going to be many surprises. Biden won. Biden breaks the curse. He breaks the curse. Biden will win his first state since first announcing that he was going to run for president in 1987 when your boy was only four years old. It's taken my entire adult life for Joe Biden to win a state, but I do believe that it happens tomorrow. I also... Uh, I believe that Bernie will come in second, and I believe that Tom Steyer will get his first taste of the medal stand at three. Uh, okay, that's it. Yeah, sorry. One one final thing. Uh, uh, other than that, some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. This is the only show that talks about all